0: Hi, guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa.
1: Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing really good. Nothing super exciting, but life is good. Wow. Me
0: too. Yeah. Wow. We are boring. We are boring.
1: Well, you know where I'll go otherwise. And I can tell you that there are tropical systems out there right now. And I'm following a lot of weather people. And the next few months for me are going to be crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Texting you and telling you all the hurricane things that could hit us in 10 to 15 days. So get ready. Buckle up. Weather is coming back.
0: I appreciate the heads up all the time whenever, because Melissa, you are the person, you're like my personal weather watcher. And so it's great. I don't even worry about anything unless Melissa texts me and says, hey, Mandy, there's something forming out in the Atlantic you might want to take a look at. I know. And And I try to wait
1: till like the last like minute to be like, well, I should definitely make sure if I haven't heard from somebody, I should let them know. And anytime I tell you, you're like, oh, okay, well, I'll check it out. And I'm like, what? I've already like boarded my windows up. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the time of year where my anxiety really just goes up to an 11. Even though I've lived in Florida my whole life, I know the drill. It's just the idea of being without power is too much with kids. And you know, it's just something I can focus my anxiety. It becomes focused anxiety. It's, you know, it's what it is. We've got a few more months of tropical stuff and I will keep you informed. I'm here to keep you informed.
0: Yes, I know. I prefer to be informed at the last minute. I like to live on the edge. And you do. I will be. Yeah, I will be living on the edge. Especially so next week, my kids, actually, when this is coming out, this when this episode comes out is the last day of school for where we're living. So that's oh, yeah. really crazy. And yes, yeah, so we're we're going to be on the edge. Or I'm gonna be on edge maybe next week. Oh yeah. Uh, when my kids are home from school and we're watching all the hurricanes coming at us full force. It's gonna be a great summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll get into the story for this week. In the 1990s, daytime TV talk shows were all the rage, and probably so was saying all the rage. I don't know. Was that a 90s phrase?
1: You know, what? I refuse. I'm apparently a geriatric millennial, and so I'm already going through some things. There's no way I can identify where that came from. No idea. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> so I actually have great memories of being a kid homesick from school and binge watching hours of daytime trash talk shows these are things that my mother probably would not have approved of me watching and I'll admit I did find things like Jerry Springer really entertaining if we're being honest um, but I was super into all of them I liked Maury um, and by the way he is still on air I looked up something about mori yeah and he is still on air and he is still reading paternity results on air and something i read said that he insists that he does not even know the results before he reads them which i guess is interesting at least it at least gives a little bit of an element of reality (laughs) to that show yeah but yeah so that was just a fun little fact there that he's actually still on the air and as i said i did watch jerry springer and as far as he goes Apparently, he's a judge now and has a show called Judge Jerry, which I assume, I just think of it as like an SNL version of Judge Judy, but I guess it's a real thing. He's actually a real judge.
1: Even Judge Judy feels like an SNL version of Judge Judy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that true? So as I said, I watched all of these kinds of talk shows. I watched Ricky Lake, Montel Williams, Sally Jesse Raphael, of course, Oprah and Dr. Phil a little bit later on. And just talking about these shows makes me miss them so much and just want to spend a day watching reruns and eating snacks in bed. Many people would consider these kinds of shows cheap entertainment. In other words, it's all for shock value and ratings and just views in general. And one thing I found when I was taking a trip down memory lane described these shows as sleazy and in many ways I would say that's very true. In most of these shows the entire premise was to exploit the drama and the pain and just these very personal affairs of different people and sometimes these people were completely unsuspecting of why they were even going to be on the show. It's kind of messed up when you think about it, really. I feel like it's very messed up and it's very yeah. messy, you know, to just put people on TV and throw, you know, some crazy information their way and film all of it. It's just right. really, it's very messed up. But that's why it makes great television, but it doesn't make it any less awful when you consider what's really going on there. So there are definitely parts of daytime talk shows, I would say, that were staged and exaggerated and even faked, but much of what you saw on TV was actually real. And it really had to be, or it wouldn't be authentic and therefore wouldn't be very interesting. So many of these shows went right for the lowest of low blows. They would expose teens with bad behavior. They would have these shocking paternity reveals and numerous other salacious topics that really did not have any business being on TV. Jenny Jones was another widely popular talk show host that had a daytime show with all the scandalous topics you could imagine, like guests ask their preteens to stop dressing like Christina Aguilera and, (laughs) and aspiring rap artists who compete and their friends don't believe they have talent. Those are real episodes of Jenny Jones, by the way. (laughs) So as far as I know, though, Jenny Jones is the only one of these daytime talk show hosts who's ever had a guest on their show who became so angry over being brought on the show that it actually led to a murder.
1: Jenny Jones actually didn't get her start in daytime TV until she had quite a bit of life under her belt. Long before her TV show, Jenny got her real start when she formed a band at the age of 22 and actually spent years touring with them. The band eventually broke up, and Jenny became a backup singer for Wayne Newton. A little while later, though, she started another band and played shows in nightclubs, but in between these shows, she would also do comedy, and her comedy is what ended up being the thing that got her discovered. People started coming to her shows just to see her comedy performances, and by the time she was 34, comedy was her full-time job. She found herself opening for huge names in the comedy industry, such as Jerry Seinfeld, Sinbad, Bob Saget, and more. She actually became hugely popular, and in 1986, she earned the Star Search Comedy Grand Prize, making her the first woman to ever do so, which I find fascinating. During the 80s, there weren't a ton of female comedians. I mean, we've got a lot more now. So you've got her, you know, somebody like Carol Burnett, Wanda Sykes, Joan Rivers, but there isn't this huge, you know, opening for women as there is now.
0: Full disclosure here. I watched the Jenny Jones show that we are talking about today, but I did not know that she got her start in comedy. So I don't know what that says about me, but I didn't even know that she was in comedy before she had the Jenny Jones
1: show. But figure that's before like the internet and stuff. So you don't have, you know, or at least the internet was widely available. So we didn't have all of, you know, access to all of this stuff. So unless she went on The Tonight Show doing a comedy set, you probably wouldn't know. So you just see her on the TV as a talk show and nobody really thinks about how she got there. (laughs) I didn't think about (laughs) it. Yeah. So her comedy career though soared and TV producers took notice Jenny was eventually offered a daytime TV show, The Jenny Jones Show, which was originally set up to be more like the way Ellen is, R.I.P. The Ellen Show, with celebrity interviews, exercise segments, cooking segments, and fashion. The show ran with that format for one whole season. But in season two, they started having, quote, real people with compelling personal stories, end quote, and the ratings for the show shot up. So then they started formatting the whole show that way, and it eventually evolved or devolved, depending on how you want to look at it, into the train wreck that it eventually became. We laugh about it now, but Jenny Jones actually received the Excellence in Media's Silver Angel Awards for Artistic Excellence and Ethical Value three different times. (laughs) So, (laughs) jokes on us? (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) So her show actually ran from 1991 to 2003. 2003, that is fascinating to me. That, okay, crap, that's 18 years ago. I know, I know. Right, Doesn't that <laughs> feel
0: like it was just not that long ago? I oh, oh my gosh. It's so crazy to think about 2003 being, gosh, yes, almost 20 years ago now. That's crazy.
1: I bet zennials don't have to think like this. I <laughs> mean, <Yeah, only laughs> <geriatric> millennials. <laughs> so... Over the course of her show, over 2,000 episodes were filmed. She had almost 50,000 total guests, and they filmed in Chicago at NBC Studios at the time. In 1995, the show was fully underway and in its prime. As we mentioned at the beginning, themes and topics for each episode of The Jenny Jones Show were often taboo and full of the kind of ethically worst entertainment possible. Mandy and I went through some of the ones that we found, and we just, you can't even believe they were ever on television. So in the spring of 1995, The Jenny Jones Show was looking to film an episode that they planned to title, Secret Crushes on People of the Same Sex. That's when Scott Amador reached out to the show. Scott was 32
0: at the time that he contacted The Jenny Jones Show. He was a gay man who had overcome personal struggles with his sexuality and was finally living openly. He was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to his parents, Frank and Patricia. Frank was a truck driver, and his mom Patricia was a homemaker, and there was a 14-year age difference between them. Scott was one of five children, who eventually had to split their time between households when Frank and Patricia got divorced. Patricia later remarried a man who had two kids of his own, but they did not ever have any kids together. Growing up, Scott was always the nice kid. He was very kind and generous, even to a fault. If somebody liked something that he had, he would just give it to them. So I have a little bit of that with my youngest son. He is so, if he has a friend over and they're like, oh, I really like this toy, my son will be like, oh, you can just have that. And I'm like, wait a minute, stop giving all your stuff away, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that it's sounds sweet, like though. how, yeah, it's very sweet. So Scott was like that. He would just, if somebody said, hey, I like your whatever, he would say, hey, it's yours now. You can have it. Um, so when he was 17, he actually left school to enlist in the army where he worked in a satellite communications and became a specialist. While he was in the army, he traveled to Germany. And while he was there, he learned how to ski, which was something that he really enjoyed and he spent a lot of time doing really whenever he could. At some point, while he was skiing in Switzerland, while still in the army, he had an accident and broke his leg. After four years in the army, Scott decided that he didn't want to enlist again for another four years. And his roommate from the army, a guy named Gary Brady, believed that scott's main reason for wanting to get out of the army was because he realized that he was gay and he wanted to be able to live his life openly which he could not do if he was in the army so scott was honorably discharged and he went on to work in communications before becoming a bartender because he said he really enjoyed the nightlife and being up at night and interacting with people in you know in that type of environment following his discharge from the army scott struggled in finding a solid relationship and he was in and out of different ones frequently In the early 90s, he was charged with assault twice, but the charges were dropped. Among the things that Scott took an interest in was his love of talk shows, and especially the Jenny Jones show. One of his neighbors, named Gail, said that Scott was actually infatuated with these shows, and he was always just watching them whenever she would come by. When Scott heard that Jenny Jones was looking for guests who had a secret crush on someone of the same sex, he wanted to reach out and actually be on the show that he loved watching so much.
1: You know, it's interesting when you're saying this, it's reminding me, remember when you would watch these shows at the end, there would be like a little programming note. If you or someone you know, yes. blah, 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 contact the show, right? Yes. I was wondering how they were, you know, how he found out about this, cause I'm thinking only the internet's the only way, but I forgot that's like literally right. how they would find people then. So in the months earlier, Scott had become very casually acquainted with Jonathan Schmitz, a 24 year old man through their mutual friend named Donna Riley. Donna only really knew Jonathan casually herself. The two were neighbors, but they weren't super close friends or anything. One day, Scott went to visit Donna at her apartment, and he saw Jonathan there. He told Donna that he really liked what he saw, he thought Jonathan was very attractive, and he wanted to get to know him. So Donna agreed to introduce the two casually. The plan didn't really work, so Donna decided to contact the Jenny Jones show first before Scott actually did. And so the plan for this was for Scott to come face to face with Jonathan on the show and to confess his crush. Producers for the show actually contacted Jonathan and asked if he'd like to come on the show to meet his secret admirer. At first, Jonathan said no, as really any person would say, but then curiosity really got the best of him and he decided to do it because he wanted to know who it was. Can you
0: imagine being contacted by a TV show and saying, hey, you have a person who has a crush on you and wants to bring you on national TV to reveal this crush? I would be terrified. Mm. I would just say no. I would be like, absolutely not. Tell this person to find another way to contact me. Yeah. That is, that's so scary. I would just would never do that. Oh, my gosh.
1: No. I. My entire life, I think I'm being punked. Like, I know Ashton Kutcher is busy, but... I just feel like he could be outside the door at any moment. So anytime I get like a weird question or a weird phone call, I just think like, this is the time I, you know, look like crap. Can't wait for the cameras to show up my face, but I always think that. (laughs) So I'd have no, like, this is just absolutely no. But I do get the curiosity, like, okay, well, who could it be if they're going to this extreme? Like, it's got to be somebody, you know, important. His first thought, though, is that it could be someone from work or maybe his ex-fiance. Oh, I remember these shows always had like people from work. Having crushes on people. That was like a huge thing for some reason. Jonathan prepared for the taping by going shopping and he spent about $350 on a new outfit to wear on TV. He was really hopeful that this would be something where he could start his life over, you know, after meeting this special person. Scott, however, had no way of knowing that Jonathan had come from a bit of a rough background. He really didn't know anything about Jonathan at all. Jonathan was born on July 18th, 1970, to parents Alan and Connie. He was one of five kids and his father owned a furniture reconditioning business to support the family. According to Jonathan's father, he was always a really sensitive kid. He was easily brought to tears and his dad said that he had really very thin skin. He said he once cried over running over a toad with the lawnmower. But his dad really described him as being a loving kid who grew up in small town America and said that he loved the outdoors and his dad even said that he was like Huckleberry Finn. Jonathan's mom described him as a little bit of an outcast. She said he felt like a failure at times and just didn't know where he fit in. After Jonathan graduated from high school in 1998, he went to college, but after just two weeks, he dropped out and moved back home and got a job waiting tables. He was complacent living at home for several years. In 1994, Jonathan was diagnosed with manic depression, which caused severe and extreme mood swings. Jonathan was really struggling at this time with mental health issues and suicidal tendencies. When he was between the ages of 18 and 23, he attempted to take his own life three different times. He eventually turned to alcohol to cope with his depression, and he eventually struggled with alcoholism. In 1994 or early 1995, Jonathan was diagnosed with Graves' disease. Graves' disease is an autoimmune disease that leads to a generalized overactivity of the entire thyroid gland. Some of the side effects of this disease include neuropsychiatric symptoms which jonathan did seem to be suffering with and we're going to get back into so much more of the story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors When we started this podcast, we had no idea what we were doing. Many would argue that that's still the case. We had to quickly learn audio and social media and promotion, and neither of us had design backgrounds, so we were worried that we wouldn't be able to pull things off like episode announcements without looking like we had our kids drawn on the back of a napkin. But thanks to Canva, when it comes to all things graphics, we can look like the professionals some people have confused us for.
0: If you follow us on social media, you've seen the art that I post every week announcing the new episodes, but I bet you didn't know that all of these flyers were made using Canva. Canva makes me feel like a total pro with their easy to use design platform that has everything you need to design just like a
1: pro. Canva Pro has everything you need all in one easy to use place that includes a collection of over 75 million premium photos, videos, audio, and graphics. With Canva, no idea is too big or too small, so whether you're a student looking to jazz up your presentations or even a marketing team or a momtrepreneur, you can get that professional look you need without paying big bucks.
0: My favorite Canva Pro feature is access to unlimited content, such as photos, elements, video, and more at no extra cost. Since I'm creating new artwork every week, I need to have a lot of options available so each one can be unique. I'm amazed every week when I sit down and look for an element or photo that I think is pretty specific, only to see that Canva has exactly what I need to turn the image in my head into something I can see and share on Instagram.
1: Design like a pro with Canva Pro. Right now you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you use our promo code. Just go to canva.me slash moms to get your free 45-day extended trial. That's C-A-N-V-A slash moms. canvame slash moms.
0: I'm always on the hunt to find a great omega-3 supplement, and my search is finally over thanks to Iwi. Iwi is different than those other guys because their secret is algae. In fact, their proprietary form of algae leads to 50% more absorption than fish, krill, and other algae oils, which gives them the world's
1: highest absorption of any source of omega-3. One of my biggest hangups with omega-3 has been the nasty fish burps after. You know the ones. But with iwi, I'm skipping the middle fish and its patented formula goes straight to my bloodstream, which means there's more absorption and more health benefits for me.
0: Once you hit your 30s, you have to start thinking about fun things like your car's airbag warranty or your bad VLDL cholesterol. So I feel great knowing that in a clinical study, iwi cholesterol helped reduce bad VLDL cholesterol by 25% on average in just three months time, which is incredible. And no matter how old or young you are, if you're like us and you're looking to live a healthier lifestyle, then do what we did and add ewi to your self-care supplements to help support your brain, heart, vision, and overall wellness.
1: It's never too late or too early to start taking Ewi. Go to eweelife.com slash moms and use code moms to save 30% on your first purchase. Take advantage of this limited time offer today. I-W-I-L-I-F-E dot com slash moms, code moms for 30% off your first purchase iwilife.com slash moms code moms. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now back to the episode. Before the break, we were
0: talking about Jonathan Schmitz and some of the mental health struggles that he had faced over his lifetime. So mental illness was actually something that was prevalent in Jonathan's family His great-grandfather had a nervous breakdown as a young man, and his grandfather struggled with depression and attempted suicide. His great-grandmother and one of his aunts actually spent the majority of their lives in institutions struggling with mental illness. Jonathan's parents first noticed what they considered odd behavior when he was around three years old. As a toddler, he would bang his head on the wall when he was angry, and these angry outbursts just continued and got worse, and by the time he was 16, Jonathan was battling depression for long periods of time. In early 1989, when Jonathan was 18 or 19 years old, he swallowed a whole bottle of his father's heart medication in an attempt to die by suicide. He was taken to a hospital in an ambulance, and his parents were able to talk him into getting treatment at the mental health ward at the hospital. Jonathan, as I said, agreed to this, but after a week there, he checked himself out. And things only got worse after that. Jonathan began drinking heavily, and he started smoking pot. He attempted suicide again in 1992 by overdosing, but that was unsuccessful. His psychiatrist prescribed him Valium and Zoloft, but by the fall of 1994, he was no longer taking any of it. Jonathan was working at a roofing company, but after he got into an argument with his boss, he was fired. And Jonathan was very upset about losing his job. He bought a shotgun and he was planning to shoot himself, but luckily he changed his mind and he returned the gun a few days later. A little while after this incident, Jonathan got a new job at a restaurant called Fox and Hounds as a busboy, but then he moved up and became a waiter. His dad said that Jonathan had finally found his niche and he was working his way up and that's where Jonathan's life was at when the Jenny Jones show called and said that he has this secret admirer who wanted to meet him and reveal themselves on her show. Jonathan had no idea what to expect, but he was excited to find out who had this secret crush on him. So as we said, he prepared, he went out shopping, he got himself a nice new outfit and then he traveled to Chicago for the taping and got there the day before.
1: On March 6, 1995, Jonathan arrived at the studio for filming. When he was finally brought out onto the stage, he was really confused to see someone that he knew, just not very well. He saw his neighbor Donna and some guy that was sitting there on the stage. Jonathan didn't know that this guy had anything to do with this, and he assumed that it was Donna that was his secret admirer. He assumed that because Jonathan was not gay, and he had no reason whatsoever to believe that he was being set up for the show about people revealing their same-sex crushes. The Jenny Jones Show didn't tell Jonathan ahead of time what the episode was really about, and according to Jonathan, they implied that his secret admirer was a woman, so that's what he was expecting when he walked out onto the stage. So he comes out, and there are two people out on the stage already. The first one he sees is his neighbor Donna, as we said, and he immediately thinks she's got to be the one that called the show. So you can see how uncomfortable Jonathan is in this footage. So we'll have a link to this in our show notes. and In this video from the day of the taping, you can see how uncomfortable he is. He's trying to keep, you know, kind of keep it all together, but you can tell he doesn't seem thrilled whenever he sees Donna, but he's being, you know, polite, and he's smiling anyway, but things really go downhill when Jenny Jones casually informs Jonathan that it was actually Scott who had the crush on him and wanted to tell him on TV. So during this filming, Scott describes these fantasies involving whipped cream and champagne, and he made comments about Jonathan's body. Jenny then asked Jonathan what he thought, if he had any idea about this crush, and Jonathan said no, definitely not. He told Jenny that he was not in a relationship, but that he was only attracted to women. Jonathan was visibly shocked throughout this entire taping, and he later said that he had no idea what to do, so he just cooperated for the cameras, and this episode that was filmed was supposed to air just two weeks later.
0: Although Jonathan was caught off guard and taken by surprise, he agreed to go out on somewhat of a date with Scott the same night after they did the filming. The men allegedly slow danced and kissed, and according to what Scott told a Jenny Jones show producer, he said that he and Jonathan had, quote, gotten together. Jonathan, Scott, and Donna all then flew back to Detroit together and went out for drinks when they arrived home the next night. When Jonathan made it back to his parents' house, he told them that he was devastated over what happened on the show. His parents were actually worried that he would take his own life, which, as we mentioned, was something Jonathan had struggled with numerous times in the past. In the days after the filming, Jonathan was distraught and just could not get past it. On March 9th, three days after the taping, Jonathan found a note that was left at his apartment along with a blinking light and some caution tape. And the note read, John, if you want it off, you'll have to ask me. P.S. It takes a special kind of tool. Guess who? So Jonathan naturally assumed that this note was from Scott and he became enraged. So this is when Jonathan decided that he needed to confront Scott once and for all. He left his home and headed for the bank and he took out some money from his savings account. He then went to a store and purchased a 12-gauge pump-action shotgun and some ammunition, and then he drove to Scott's house. When Jonathan arrived, he sat in his car for a while contemplating what exactly he was going to do, what he was going to say, and finally he worked up the nerve to go knock at the door. At this point, he thinks it's probably best if he leaves the gun in the car. Jonathan knocked on the door and Scott's roommate actually answered and said Scott was in the bathroom shaving and he made this gesture kind of towards that area. So Jonathan was taking that as an invitation to go inside. Jonathan walked right into the bathroom while Scott was shaving and he confronted him about the note. And Scott didn't say anything. He just stood there and smirked at Jonathan, which only irritated Jonathan even more. Jonathan told Scott that he needed to go outside and shut his car off, but really what he wanted to do was go back for the gun. When he went back up to the trailer and knocked, Scott answered the door, and there was Jonathan standing there with a shotgun pointed at him. Scott yelled out to his roommate, Gary, he's got a gun and he's going to shoot me. And then Jonathan pulled the trigger and fired two shots into Scott's chest while they were standing in the doorway. Gary ran away at first, but then he came back to check on his roommate, and he was the one who dialed 911. Scott survived for a few minutes after he was shot, but he died before an ambulance was able to arrive at the scene.
1: Immediately following the shooting, Jonathan drove straight to a payphone and called 911 and confessed to the shooting. He was very scared and shaken as he told the dispatcher, quote, I shot this guy because he wanted to put me on national TV on the Jenny Jones show, end quote. He started crying during the 911 call and said that the gun was in his car and he was away from his car. The dispatcher kept him on the line until officers arrived at his location, but they asked him one last time if there was anything else Jonathan could say about what went on over at Scott's house that day. And Jonathan said through tears, quote, I just really thought about it, end quote. And then the call was ended. Jonathan was arrested and charged with first degree murder and using a firearm in a felony and was put in jail and held without bail. In his interview with police, Jonathan said that the whole Jenny Jones ordeal had just been eating away at him and that in the days after this filming, he was filled with regret and dread and anxiety about the show being aired. He said that he felt embarrassed and humiliated and had been on a drinking binge. He told police that Scott wouldn't leave him alone. Um, we only know about this note and not about any other contact. Not that there wasn't any other, it's just we don't know of any other contact he tried to make. So it was suggested that the Ginny Jones show was the cause of the shooting, which forced Ginny Jones to release a statement about it. She said in the video statement that no one was to blame but Jonathan himself. The episode that they filmed never aired, but of course, it doesn't matter because the internet's around forever and we can always find these things. So we're going to get into more of this case after one last break to hear word from this week's sponsors.
0: The late, great Elizabeth Taylor once said, Jewelry has the power to be this one little thing that can make you feel unique. And with Ana Luisa Jewelry, you can really live that quote out loud. Ana Luisa has amazing jewelry that feels just as unique as you are. Plus, they make their jewelry from recycled materials whenever possible. So not only do you feel beautiful in your jewelry and good about what you're wearing, but you can get it at a price you feel great about. Thanks to their 10% discount when you visit Ana Luisa, A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A dot com slash moms and use our code moms.
1: I'm always on the lookout for everyday chic jewelry. I like to add a little something something without going full flavor flavor and just putting a giant clock around my neck. I recently got a beautiful 14 karat gold on brass dainty necklace from Ana Luisa that says mama. You'd think with all the times my kids yell mama at me I'd be tired of the word but I wear it as a badge of honor and love that it's just so dainty and adorable. I also love the attention to detail Ana Luisa puts into their jewelry where even the chain extender on this necklace has a small heart on it. And we feel great about sharing with you guys
0: because not only is Anna Luisa jewelry beautiful and timeless, but its fair pricing means jewelry starts at just $39. Plus, when you go to analuisa.com moms and use our code moms, you'll get 10% off, which is great because you'll want to check back every Friday when their new jewelry collections
1: are released annaluisacom slash moms, go treat yourself and your loved ones and use our code moms to get 10% off. We absolutely recommend them. They're a great brand making beautiful, sustainable jewelry. Go check out annaluisacom slash moms. That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A.com slash moms, code moms. If right now in life, you're having a harder time dealing with things than you normally do. That's okay. Many of us are. And when I realized I needed a little help to get me through this period, I turned to better help. BetterHelp simply asks you a few questions and based on your answers is able to assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist in a safe and private online environment and you can begin communicating in under 24 hours.
0: BetterHelp is more affordable than most traditional therapists, plus financial aid is available to those who qualify. BetterHelp is available worldwide, so whether you're dealing with stress, depression, anxiety, relationships, or more, a counselor is available to you thanks to the internet. And if you decide you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional cost.
1: I love that I can not only talk to my therapist by phone or video, but I can also message her throughout the week if there's something I want to work on or get guidance on. My therapist, Lauren, is amazing, but she's also a trash TV watcher, so she understands me more than most. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are
0: recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com moms. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com moms.
1: And now back to the episode. Before the break, we
0: had just been talking about the way that Jonathan Schmitz had been feeling in. The days after the Jenny Jones show recording that he was on, he was feeling very upset by the taping and feeling really uneasy about it airing in two weeks. And additionally, he was feeling like Scott just was not leaving him alone and he wanted to confront him about it. So Jonathan drove over to Scott's apartment and they had a little bit of an argument before Jonathan actually went to his car and got a shotgun and shot Scott twice in the chest. The gay community was rightfully upset by this senseless murder. The executive director of San Francisco's United Against Violence, his name is Lester Olmstead Rose, said, quote, There's such willingness to buy into the fact that a same-sex attraction is so repulsive that people now consider it a defense against murder charges, end quote. The prosecutor, Richard Thompson, said, quote, In my view, the Jenny Jones Show ambushed the defendant with humiliation. Had this not occurred, I don't believe this defendant would be facing these charges, end quote. Gay rights activists at the time weren't really thrilled with the prosecution's angle, though. They felt that it just reinforced the notion that a heterosexual who finds himself the object of a gay man's affection might have reason to feel humiliated. Um, and that, that was a quote from the gay rights community. This case took place in the 90s. And so this was a time that was really pivotal for gay rights. And so these types of cases were really crucial in paving the way for progress in equal rights. So, so Jonathan's trial began on October October 14th, 1996 in Oakland Circuit Court. The prosecution said that after Jonathan saw Scott's note at his house, he started planning this murder. He went to the bank, he bought the gun, he drove to Scott's house, confronted him, and then returned to his car to get the gun so he could shoot him in cold blood. The prosecution alleged that Jonathan was acting out of homophobia and not because he was truly that upset about the taping. They pointed out that he remained on the stage and didn't storm out, and he was even seen clapping his hands at one point during the video. Jonathan's defense blamed the Jenny Jones show and Jonathan's well-documented history of poor mental health. They said that their client felt ambushed by the show, and he felt a sense of betrayal when it came to his neighbor Donna and to Scott. The defense said that Jonathan lacked the mental capacity to commit a murder with intent due to his mental illnesses, his suicidal tendencies, and his Graves' disease, and they also partially blamed the lack of sleep and being under the influence of alcohol or drugs. The segment of the show that was filmed was shown in court. As we kind of mentioned before, it's pretty obvious to me, at least when I watch this video, that Jonathan is really uncomfortable as soon as he gets on the stage. But the Washington Post disagreed, and they said that the episode seemed, quote, lighthearted and rollicking. And they wrote that Jonathan, quote, appeared to play along with the revelation that Amador had fantasized about him. He looked a little embarrassed, but not outraged, end quote. Again, as I said, I disagree. I think he does look really upset and really mad, but he looks like he's trying to keep himself composed while he's being filmed. Jenny Jones actually even testified in this trial. She said that she didn't actually have a lot to do with the actual production of the show. Not surprising. Um, she said she wasn't even a part of the episode's subject discussions. Actually is surprising to me. And yeah. sometimes, you know, that it's her show with her name on it. So you would think that she would do a little bit of like just checking you know to make sure right. I don't know that just seemed crazy to me that she was just like okay like somebody else can make all those decisions um so sometimes she said she wouldn't even find out the subject of the shows of the episodes until the night before she was filming them which again mm. I think is pretty crazy of course since she doesn't even know what the topics are she does not write the scripts but sometimes she said she did rewrite them but for this particular episode she didn't recall ever thinking that the topic was inappropriate she thought it was lighthearted and fun and she thought that it should not be called ambush television the producers for the show also testified and the defense got a producer to admit that jonathan was tricked into thinking that his admirer was most likely a woman
1: on november 13, 1996 after deliberating for over a day the jury found jonathan schmitz guilty of second degree murder and guilty of the felony firearm charge they had the option to find him guilty of first degree second degree voluntary manslaughter or of course to acquit him on December 4, 1996, Jonathan was sentenced to 25 to 50 years for second-degree murder and two years for the firearm conviction. These sentences would run consecutively. Jonathan later appealed his sentence on the grounds of a jury selection error. He said that during the jury selection process, the defense and the prosecution were each given 12 peremptory challenges, which means they can object to a proposed juror with no explanation needed. So on the final day of jury selection, the defense wanted to go back and use one of those challenges on a juror that was already approved. At this point, they still had five of these challenges left, but the prosecution objected to this one, saying that the defense shouldn't be allowed to challenge a juror that was already accepted. The court sided with the prosecution and said that once the defense accepts a juror, they cannot open up the peremptory challenges again. Both sides then waived any further challenges, and the court said that the jury members they had were the ones that they would use in the trial. Jonathan then tried to appeal and said that his conviction should be reversed because the court didn't allow this challenge. The court actually agreed with him. They said until the jury is officially decided, the prosecution or defense is, quote, free to exercise further peremptory challenges to any member, end quote. On September 11th, 1998, the court ruled that the error could not be deemed harmless, so they reversed his convictions and ordered a new trial. Wow. That's an interesting way to get a new trial. It really is. This isn't one I feel like I've heard of before, um, but it makes a lot of sense that they were able to to try this. So Jonathan's retrial began on August 19th, 1999. He was charged with second-degree murder, and this time, his psychological history was not allowed to be introduced as evidence. Prosecutors in this trial alleged that Jonathan had a grudge against Scott and he actually killed him because he was angry that Scott confessed his crush on a TV show. The prosecution called this an execution. They said Jonathan, quote, overreacted to mere embarrassment, end quote. The defense tried to convince the jury to find Jonathan guilty of the lesser charge of manslaughter and said that Jonathan simply lost it after the show taping. They said he was then provoked by Scott. In the second trial, instead of the defense blaming the Jenny Jones show, they blamed it all entirely on Scott and painted a picture that Scott was taunting Jonathan. On August 27, 1999, after deliberating for less than three hours, Jonathan was found guilty for the second time. He was again sentenced to 25 to 30 years for second-degree murder and two years for the felony weapons charge. After serving almost 18 years in prison, Jonathan was released on August 22, 2017.
0: Following Scott's tragic murder, the amateur family sued the Jenny Jones Show for seventy-one and a half million dollars. The lawsuit stated that the actions of the Jenny Jones Show, Warner Brothers, and Telepictures directly resulted in Scott's death. The suit also said that the show ambushed Jonathan by not telling him the topic of the show beforehand and failing to determine what effect the taping might have on Jonathan. They alleged that the show should have known that this could incite rage and violence. The suit further said that Scott was put at an unreasonable risk of harm, which then resulted in his death. The lawsuit went to trial on March 31, 1999. The Jenny Jones show's defense was that they did not lie to Jonathan and they insisted that they told him that the admirer could be a man or a woman and further said that the show's responsibility to these two men ended when they left the studio. On May 7th, jurors deliberated for seven hours before siding with the amateur family and awarding them almost $29.5 million in damages. Part of these damages included $5 million for Scott's suffering before he died, $10 million to the family for their loss, and $10 million for the money Scott would have earned over his lifetime. The Jenny Jones Show, Warner Brothers, and Telepictures appealed the verdict to the Court of Appeals stating they did not have any duty to protect Scott from harm caused by a third party. And in October 2002, the court actually agreed with them and vacated the verdict, which honestly kind of makes me a little mad because... Yeah. I just feel like that's so not cool. Like in the big scheme of things, these are people who have mega money. And this is a serious tragedy that happened after these people went on this TV show. The least they could do is not fight them and not appeal. You know what I'm saying to have to like. Oh, yeah. I just think it's really it's all messed up. I think the show is at a liability for this particular murder. And I do think it's messed up that they kind of got out of having to like have any repercussions for doing
1: that. Oh, for sure! But look at all those names: The Jenny Jones Show, Warner Brothers, Hella Pictures. They had big money behind them. They had big shot attorneys. They, you know, all this stuff that the family's not going to have. Of course, they won their appeal. You know, they're they're going to have the best of the best. But you're exactly right. right. Like it doesn't. The, none of this would have happened if they weren't on the show it's really sad all the way around it is interesting to me that they found him guilty of second degree murder because I would think that you could have gotten him on first degree murder me too taking the money out going to buy the gun going there with the gun going back out to his car to get you know I'm kind of interested in how they arrived at that versus um first degree murder but man this is one of those like uh you hear about this story like oh talk shows blah blah blah. Oh remember the one where Jenny Jones but I never had right. um, I never knew very much about it.
0: Yeah, it's a really sad case all around. I felt like this was one of those situations where it was like a perfect storm of things that kind of came together and resulted in this, you know, in this man's death. And it's really, really sad. I felt bad at points for Jonathan, you know, with his life growing up. And then, of course, for Scott, did not deserve to die, did not deserve to lose his life. And it's just all absolutely terrible and sad. But yeah, I'm so glad that we are past the days of that type of television because, Just so terrible. I'm actually surprised there haven't been more murders related to those kind of TV shows because, yeah, some people really had like bad, bad news dropped on them on TV. And I'm surprised that there's not more of this kind of stories out there.
1: Yeah. It, yeah, you're 100% right because that's what I thought through this. I was like, how have there not been more like paternity things that have come up on these shows where somebody doesn't just lose it and all the confession ones like this? And you know that the producers were egging him on during this. You know, it, it's just, it's amazing this TV was ever allowed to, to happen. To I air, mean, yeah. Yeah, it's scary. Thank goodness. Like now we have, what do we have? Well, Ellen just got canceled. I think Dakota Johnson had something to do with that. And uh, who else? Oh, Kelly Clarkson. I saw a tweet that said, <laughs> and hers is just like a feel-good show, but I saw a, a tweet that said, does Kelly Clarkson actually have a show or is it just like two-minute clips that are put on the internet? <laughs> I don't know anybody that watches it, but it's on. And you've got like Drew Barrymore show. They're yeah. all very like light and fun. And, you know, even The Tonight Show, they do games and stuff like that. Like it's all a different vibe than it used to be it's not sabotage and hurting people right. it's exactly you know, trying to and it's great it's it's good entertainment
0: yeah so even though I say how much I like to reminisce about watching these shows I do I mean I, I have good memories of sitting home and just like binge watching these like crappy crappy tv shows but right. um, yeah I am glad that we don't have that anymore on tv I, I definitely think that those kind of shows were a terrible idea terrible terrible yeah. terrible but just to prove how terrible they were we're going to play a little game for last thing before we go <laughs> melissa are you ready to play fill in the blank yes real or trashy daytime talk show edition yes
1: <laughs> so we're not doing any like the ones that we heard today but i pulled some from old ricky lake titles of her show and mandy you pulled some from Oh Jenny Jenny Jones Jones, herself yeah okay and so girl power and we are going to do fill in the blanks this is one of our favorite games fill in the blanks but this is about titles okay so
0: yeah so what we're doing here is we're going to say like the title or the topic basically of these episodes and then I'm going to we're going to leave a blank and we're going to see if we can figure out what the blank is okay so here's the first one women who say their blank is ruining their love life (laughs) Women who
1: say I'm going to say their hotness because it just seems like something they would do.
0: Yes, their beauty is it. Women who say oh. their beauty is ruining their love life. Yeah,
1: <laughs> women were very. Um, there was know, several very- on there
0: like that. Like. Yeah, there were several. I saw a few that were like, I'm too attractive to get a date. Like there was so many on there that were like basically the same thing. I was like, wow, women were, were they all Tyra Banks in the 90s.
1: <laughs> they all seem like Tyra I know, Banks. I know. <laughs> okay, so here's my first yeah. one. Uh, you're a blank, nothing more. You want a commitment, there's the door. So all of mine almost rhyme. They had a big thing <laughs> at Ricky Lake. So you're a blank, nothing more. You want a commitment, there's the door.
0: You're a Oh, actually loser. this one doesn't rhyme.
1: No. <clears throat> you're a loser. No, Mandy. You're a booty call, nothing more. You want a commitment? There's the <laughs> door. <laughs> oh, my like, not you have said this goodness. over the phone? Wow.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> we have to go on TV for this? I know. Okay, here's another one. All right. Couples argue about blank. Whole entire episode of Jenny Jones on couples arguing about blank.
1: What side of the bed they sleep on? I'm just trying to think of ridiculous things.
0: Um, <laughs> no. Waffles. This one is actually, I feel like, yeah, <laughs> no. This actually could be, I could understand this. Couples argue about news stories.
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, that could yeah, But be that. one.
0: I guess they had enough people call in
1: to that one. They. That's yeah. obviously a problem across many households. <laughs> no kidding. Okay, this is one of my favorite blanks. Okay, you're pregnant. Stop blank partying. No, that would make sense. You're pregnant. Stop (laughs) fist fighting. Oh my gosh. That's just as bad. Right. But I just love that. They're like, it's one person. They're like, you gotta stop fist fighting people. This has gone too far. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay.
0: Here we go. Guests complain that their friends and relatives are obsessed with blank. Oh,
1: obsessed with, um, Oh my gosh, obsessed. I would say their looks again, but I've already guessed that. Say it one more time.
0: Guests complain that their friends and relatives are obsessed with blank. Their booties. Singing karaoke. What? Actually. <laughs> yes. now, can you yes. imagine being
1: drugged somewhere to talk about your obsession with karaoke?
0: Yeah, can you – like a karaoke intervention on the Jenny, yeah. Jenny show?
1: <laughs> a karaoke intervention. <laughs> a karaoke <quirky> intervention. yeah. <laughs> <v-vention>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, here's my next one. Okay. I just want to hit it and quit it. Let me know if you're blank. And I wrote, a.k.a. the one Sir Mix-A-Lot wrote. I just want to hit it and quit it. Let me know if you're blank. With it. <laughs> yes, good job. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All of these could be solved with a phone call. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Okay. I have one last one, Melissa. Okay. This one could, this could be a description for our show also. Okay. (laughs) Okay. People with unusual blank. People with unusual
1: laughs. (laughs) Could be that. Voices. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still bitter on the laughing, so... <laughs> <All right. laughs> I can tell. <laughs> Here's my last one. Okay. Girlfriend, if your blank wasn't blank, you'd be all that. Enjoy 24 hours with a bodacious body. Girlfriend, if your blank wasn't blank, you'd be all that. Enjoy 24 hours with a bodacious body. If you're... This one spoke to me.
0: If, you, if you're... if butt wasn't small you'd be all that basically <laughs>
1: if your butt wasn't flat <laughs> oh my god i was like this would you so sad. that i know i love it oh there's a god. new show called uh girls five eva i sent mandy a clip of something i want her to listen to but they have a song so it's like a 90s girl group that gets back together and they'll like cut clips of their old songs so they're very like late 90s early 2000s so they had one song called tiny butts forever tbf and they said it's like two silver dollars in jeans like whenever everybody was like real thin you know during but- <laughs> <laughs> i just love the one two oh silver dollars. <laughs> so tbf you know i'm all about that life <laughs> there you go
0: there you go all right melissa this has been a fun last thing before we go yeah that was fun and a nice trip down memory lane it's always nice when we can visit the 90s for a little while but then come right back to where we are because the 90s were a little sketchy and questionable
1: (laughs) yeah as we've learned there were definitely some things they got wrong
0: yeah All right, guys that's it for this week Um, we will see you back next week same time same place new story have a great week
1: bye thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode